Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's episode, um, I have a really interesting guy, to say the least, uh, Dalton Solver. Dalton is a former High Point lacrosse player, currently plays for the Buffalo Bandits, and is currently playing this summer in a Senior A box league for the Six Nation Chiefs. Dalton, how are we doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Just uh, just another day, you know? Another day? Yeah, you get the had to get the fresh cut before we hopped on here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Got paid it up from uh, from the guy today, which is money, getting ready to play another game for the Chiefs tomorrow. So, Yeah, so uh, getting right into that, um, you and I had the pleasure of meeting. Um, we only met once, uh, so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get you on here, but um, we met through a mutual friend, Frank Brown. Frank was my roommate at Hobart. Um, he's your teammate, and then you guys coached a little bit this past year at Canisius. Um but, you know, starting it off, ultimately, you know, what led you to, you know, starting at high school to high point to getting drafted to now being in Buffalo? Like, what was that whole, like, take me on that journey of how you ended up in Buffalo originally being from Texas? Yeah, so uh, so I actually moved to Houston, Texas at the end of sixth grade. Up until that point, I probably didn't even know what lacrosse was. I think uh, – you know, I was I was living in Birmingham at the time, and it was just starting to find its way to the state. Um, there's actually been some guys that have come from Alabama and played uh, in high school and pro, like Jack Jasinski is a great example. A couple years uh, after me, which, you know, I think is awesome, but moved to Houston and, uh, you know, played lacrosse and PE and had a blast. And I had, uh, you know, a pretty tight friend group almost right away, and a lot of those guys played lacrosse. And uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the sport. You know, I got to the point where, you know, at one point, seventh, eighth grade, I was playing like three or four different sports, um, you know, soccer, football, basketball, doing some stuff for track. And then, you know, just got to high school and, and you know, hindsight, maybe it wasn't the best decision, but it, at the time it felt right. I just dropped everything and played lacrosse uh, year round. So obviously being a spring sport, but then trying to get to uh, – you know, recruiting events and training and trying to play throughout the fall too. Um, Cause I definitely felt like I was playing catch up, you know, like I think a lot of uh, the people that play lacrosse in both college and ultimately in pro started young, right. I mean, picked up sticks when they were four or five years old and I was picking up a stick when I was, you know, 12, 13 felt like I was maybe not athletically behind, but lacrosse is so much more than, you know, being an athlete. So just uh, fell in love with the sport, fell in love with the process of, uh, you know, getting better and enjoying uh, my time with my friends along the way. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people that are from, you know, non-hotbed areas will definitely be able to relate to this, but it's tough getting to recruiting events. You know, it's expensive to fly up to Baltimore from, you know, from Texas, it's not something that you can just, you know, drive a couple hours down the road to get to an event. You know, you have to really uh, pick and choose the type of events that you can get to and um, kind of do what makes the most sense for, you know, your family. And, you know, I'm grateful to my parents that they always put me in a position to succeed as far as getting in front of coaches and, um, you know, the whole recruiting process. But tried to uh, make sure we hit like three or four camps in one trip. You know, I played uh, – had the luxury of, of playing for 
the stick star brand. So they have two different teams that they, they coach that's Dallas select is the summer. And then they also have a, a team called Texas United that plays in uh, fall tournaments and just really bought into, uh, bought into that coach and bought into that program. And, you know, we played, uh, played actually, you know, kind of a box system looking back and, and actually did a lot of uh, training that would simulate box, even though maybe at the time, that's not what we were calling it. And, uh, you know, ultimately got in front of the right coaches that I needed to get in front of, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was highly recruited at all. Um, I committed at, you know, for my timeline, I committed late, which was February of my junior year. Um, you know, obviously like early recruiting has kind of gone away since then. And there's rules about, you know, how you can, you can and can't talk to coaches and the timeline of all that stuff. So, you know, for me, I was like one of the last guys in my class to get recruited, uh, which is crazy to think that, you know, 16 year old, 17 year old junior is making a decision to early commit to a school. It's, uh, it's pretty nuts. So I think, you know, maybe the early recruiting thing, getting rid of that is a good thing, but um, yeah, got, uh, got in front of coach Torpy for the first time at UNC team camp, uh, head coach of high point. And uh, you know, at the time I, I didn't even know what high point was. Uh, my uh, select team coach walked up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, like high point really likes you. Maybe that's something you should consider. And, I think uh, that would have been the summer before my junior year. And at the time I was like, where, what school? <laughs> That's exactly how I was with Hobart. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, you know, liberal arts college, like 5,000, it's grown a little bit since I was there, but um, you know, five, 6,000 kids, it's, it's not big, no football, not a, uh, you know, not a big college town. So I, you know, I kind of, it's funny. I look back, I kind of went along my day and, um, you know, kept playing and uh, tried to pursue, you know, I had some big bucket list schools that I really wanted to get in front of. Um, like it, at one point in time, it was, you know, a dream to go play for UVA. And then another point in time, it was a dream to go play for Notre Dame. And I had chances to play in front of some of those coaches. But the reality is that, you know, the UNC's, the UVA's, the Maryland's at that time, they were full by like, sophomore going into junior year they had already finished recruiting that class and we're moving on to the mm -hmm. next so it's definitely tough but um you know at at the end of the day I'm, I'm grateful every day for where I went and the experience that I had and you know the the crazy thing is is uh I was at a camp in Texas called T99 still still around that camp's actually run by Jerry Byrne and um yep the way that that camp is formatted is D3, D2 and D3 schools, for the most part, those coaches are, are coaching teams. And then like the D1 coaches are the guys that are sitting in chairs recruiting. Mm -hmm. And a uh, guy named Ryan Cassidy, who was coaching at York College at the time, you know, I, I just struck a chord with him and we, you know, we hit it off and I really enjoyed playing for him that weekend. And he said to me, he's like, you know, I'm trying to get on a staff at a D1 school. I know you're not looking to play D3. I know you have dreams that are bigger than that. Um, you know, I'll let you know when I get to a D1 school. And I'm not kidding. I followed him on Instagram. This would have been, I mean, this was a little previously, probably like before my sophomore year, maybe, because I, I remember I was younger. I was still pretty early in my recruiting process. And I uh, followed him on Instagram, thought nothing of it. Fast forward to 
the fall of my junior year and I see on, on my feed, Ryan Cassidy posted a picture from the office of high point, basically announcing a new job. And, um, you know, at this point, this is past September. So even though I, I think for me, I probably could have reached out to him and it wouldn't have mattered, but I actually DM'd him and I was like, yo, congrats on uh, the high point job. Like, you know, that's actually a school that I'm, I'm actually really interested in. And, uh, he didn't tell me this at the time, but he got that DM, got up from his chair and went in and started talking to Torpy immediately about me. Um, and, you know, had a chance to get what I would call like a final evaluation from uh, Coach Torpy at a, a camp in Dallas called uh, Dallas Deuces, which is like a Christmas camp. And, um, you know, got got a chance to get on campus February of my junior year to watch them play Duke in a game that they lost by two, I think, which was, you know, I remember that. At like a man, like a, a small, a small, you know, kind of like middle of the pack D1 team, given a team like Duke a run for their money. I mean, I was hooked that and the fact that the campus, you know, looks like a country club, which I'm sure you've heard people talk about before. Um, yeah campus is unreal <laughs> there was uh there was these um there were two girls that us when i was living in boston that went to high point and i that was one of the first things i asked them when they said that they went to high point and stuff like that and they were saying it's insane like how beautiful the campus is and like how much money is at that school in terms of personal pockets but just like the amount of money that goes into that school right yeah no no doubt uh, you know president cubane um, is, uh, you know, on boards of fortune 500 companies and, you know, it, he's got friends in high places and, and is also, you know, this guy's a self-made millionaire. He's, he's incredibly successful as an immigrant and, um, it, everything that you see at high point is a result of, of him. I think that school, even, you know, 15, 20 years ago is almost, unrecognizable how much how much money's been put into that school for new buildings and new fields and the new basketball arena and you know all sorts of new science building which I was uh, I had the luxury of using a lot um so yeah I mean it was it was definitely an incredible campus and and one that probably didn't seem real until like my junior or senior year I mean it, it felt it always felt like it was a resort of some kind and obviously like now on the field and within the program of high point, which, you know, we'll get to, we had a super blue collar program and, you know, Torpy <laughs> reminded us very regularly that it was a privilege and not um, something that uh, we were not to be grateful for. We'll say that, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so I, uh, I got on campus and watched that game and, you know, I, I got recruited by a couple other schools. I think, when it came down to it, my final kind of two choices were uh, Marquette in Milwaukee, where I was born and have family, and then High Point, North Carolina. And I did have some family um, about an hour and a half away from the school. So, you know, like more or less canceled that out. But it, when it came down to it, um, super similar programs at the time. Joe Amplo was the coach of Marquette. Him and Torpy are kind of cut from the same, same cloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the way that in the way that they coach, in the way that they run their program, um, in the way that they're you know kind of like mid-major schools that always seem to compete with the big names on their on their schedules, 
And, um, yeah, I just lived in the South my whole life and I, and I couldn't commit to that cold, you know, I funny, I say that and I'm living in Buffalo now, but, <laughs> um, I just decided that North Carolina was, was, uh, the right place for me to be. And, you know, I've been grateful for that choice ever since. You were uh, originally born in, in uh, Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is a hell of a time. Um, Cause as yeah. I was telling you, one of, uh, one of my good friends, Grace Gabriel, she played lacrosse at Marquette and, I, when she went there, a bunch of us would always go up to visit her for like games and stuff like that. And I always was like, what the hell is in Milwaukee? Like what is possibly in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin besides like Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> He's not even in Milwaukee, but like Wisconsin as a whole, like Aaron Rodgers and cheese. So I'm like, yeah, what is there? But just uh, the Milwaukee, city of beer and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Milwaukee. Milwaukee reminds me a lot of Buffalo, a little bit like a cousin of Buffalo. Um, yeah, a lot of breweries everywhere. People are super nice, really nice uh, comfort food restaurants. Cheese. I mean, we don't have cheese curds up here, but um, die hard for their sports teams, just like we are. Like <laughs> you've grown to learn how we are with the yeah. Bills. Um, yeah. No, but that's that's a hell of a place. And that you just it was because of the cold. You just couldn't get to it. You were just hooked on that southern lifestyle. Yeah, you know, man. There was a, there was a lot of things that went into it. I think. Um... I think Torpy is an incredible salesman. Um, but on top of that, I, I just, everything about my visit felt right. You know, and I'm sure you can relate to this um, with, with picking Hobart, but it's just, I showed up and my hosts were happy to see me and they welcomed me with open arms and they answered all my questions. And, you know, it just, it was a, it was an experience that made me feel like, you know, I was, I was going to fit perfectly into the program. And, um, you know, I think one of the things, like, as I get old, is, you know, Torpy spends an incredible amount of time recruiting the right people. Um, and he puts, you know, the person and their family over their skill, I'd say. Because, I mean, if anybody asked him, he'd be the first to say, like, there's plenty of players that, you know, wanted to go to school there that he's had to say no to for, you know, for reasons of character or reasons for, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and because of that, the guys that do, you know, show up on campus are, are guys that are like, kind of like cut from the same cloth, right? Like just good dudes coming from good families that, you know, work hard and, and, um, you know, just created like an incredibly tight locker room. And, you know, what I experienced on my visit was exactly what I experienced while I was on the team you know, and with every class of guys that came, you know, after my freshman year, it was always the same thing, right? A really, mm -hmm. you know, like a blue collar culture, but one that's, you know, super tight knit, everybody takes care of everybody. And um, yeah, so I ultimately committed to the weather, <laughs> the, the campus, Coach Torpy himself and the rest of the staff. And then, um, yeah, can't complain. I don't yeah, I don't blame you one bit. I mean, I was born and raised here, and I'm I'm moving to Florida soon, actually. But like that, that's like what the real is like from living in Boston, living in Denver, going to Hobart, and then Mercy. The end of my entire life. I'm at a point now where I'm just like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, because yeah. I definitely have the sound, not to be that guy, but I definitely. Like where I'm like, I don't want to do anything, but I wake up, you see how great it is and cold and freezing. And you're just like, oh, but 
man, I got to get yeah, out of man. stuff today. You're just like, what? Yeah. And then, I mean, and then social media doesn't help because then you see places like I'm sure like you probably look at snaps and Instagrams of like all your boys down south and you're just like, <laughs> what, yeah. am I, what am I doing up here? In the- um, yeah, I hear you know, that for sure. One thing I, I'm always curious by, and I don't know if this is a weird question or not, but you said that Torpy was a hell of a he was a hell of a coach like that. Um, me personally, I think that um, whether it is in like your career, business, um, you know, you coaching or even playing and stuff like that, good mentors, all that stuff, they have a way of um, selling you on your own potential. That, that, like, that's something that I always like think about. I don't know if that is like a unique thought I have or other people realize that too. When you say yeah. he's a health salesman, do you is it angle of like he is like trying to sell you on your own potential, or is he more so of just like, hey man, if you want to be something special here, it you're gonna learn more off the field than that's gonna better prepare you for life, or like what is, what is the angle with him? Yeah, it's kind of, a, I would say it's kind of a combination of that, right? So like, you know, the initial pitch is, we really like you as a player, we like you as a person based on a conversation, you know, this is, this is what we have to offer. And in that sense, like he's selling you on the school, right? But once you show up on campus, the other stuff definitely takes over, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, um, I think we, we, we've had different alumni speak to us. I think, you know, one of the things that we had pretty regularly, especially in the fall is he would always set up uh, video calls before or after practice on a random, you know, like Wednesday in the fall of different alumni that are in the workforce and have them talk to us and um, their experience at school and how it prepared them for, you know, work and all that stuff. And I remember a quote um, that's kind of always stuck with me is don't overestimate where you are right now and don't underestimate where you can be, you know, X months down the road. So like we always talk about like one thing that we talked about at high point that we also talked about at Canisius this year when we were coaching is just getting 1% better every day. And um, you know, the, the amount of work that will add up throughout the course of even one off season, like one fall semester and where, you know, showing, showing up on day one, and not being ready to play. And like, I I can talk about my experience kind of throughout, throughout school too, but just like not being ready to play by the beginning of my freshman year. And then halfway through this season, getting a chance to actually play. And like, you know, the amount of growth that can happen in three, six, you know, six months a year is incredible. And so in that sense, like definitely Torpy always sold us on potential and, you know, but at the same time, like wasn't afraid to like, you know, I think a great coach recognizes how a player responds to criticism and and tailors his message to work for that. Right. So mm-hmm. I learned pretty on that, you know, there are some guys, especially guys that like I played with that are like Long Island, like hard nosed Italian guys. It's like somebody's <laughs> got somebody's got to rip them a new one for that them to get a message through their skull. And like some people are some people are just like that. Like I you know, I'm like, that. I wasn't, I wasn't like that. You know, like I don't get me wrong. I, I can take, you know, somebody yelling at me. Like I've got pretty thick skin, especially, you know, spending five years at school and getting yelled at all the time. 
mm-hmm. you know, it, you, you get to the point where you let it roll off your back. And, you know, part of that is preparing you for the workforce is you go work in a high intense environment. Like somebody's going to yell at you and you can't, you know, <laughs> shut down and, you know, not be able to function. So, but in that sense, right. He kind of learned early on that I was never going to quit. I was never going to um, not give effort. It was more of like, I'm ready to learn. Um, I'm going to be coachable. I'm going to work hard, but like, I'm not there yet. And and that's kind of the same place that I was at going into the start of my NLL career. But uh, I think, like I said, a good coach, you know, finds how to communicate with each individual player in a way that's going to work for them. And, um, you know, Torpy, Coach Torpy at the beginning was, uh, you know, pretty honest with me. He's like, man, you're not ready to play. He's like, you got to get in better shape. You got to get better at this, that, this, that, this, that. You know, we might move you to D-mid and, um, and just all of this stuff. And, and ultimately, you know, accountability is a big, you know, big piece of High Points program. And, and I think Coach Torpy always reminds us that he's like, you don't want people in your life that are not going to hold you accountable. He's like, you know, if you're getting into your old age like I am and you're getting overweight and somebody call, doesn't isn't willing to call you out and all of a sudden you're living an unhealthy lifestyle. It's like, well, is that person really your friend? And so, you know, in that sense, like peer accountability became kind of like a mantra of the team and a deep seated part of the culture and something that I took pride in as a captain. And, you know, calling out your friends is never easy. Just like, uh, you know, being a captain is never easy, right? You have to kind of be the bad guy sometimes and be mean Mm -hmm. to people. (laughs) But uh, some people don't know how to like, uh, uh, what is that? It's, people don't know how to like, like switch. Like if you're like bugging out because they're dropping the ball or doing something, someone might be like Dalton's being a dick or Dalton's being a kiss ass without like realizing that it's just like, unfortunately when you're playing college lacrosse at the D one level, it, it's a job ultimately. Yeah. Because yeah, no kind of like your uh, coach was saying, like it's a privilege to be playing. Like I remember my freshman year, um, I, uh, the first, like during the fall, I was so frustrated. I was extremely frustrated because like, same type of thing. Like I thought I was in shape. I thought like I was going to walk right in and be able to play right away. And then you get like a big wake up call to one, like how fast the game is the IQ of players that like aren't even playing at the same time too. And then like all the things that coach wants out of you. And I remember one of our coaches, like he said, he was just, yeah, chill out. Like, He's like, you, he's like, you belong here. We wouldn't have recruited you if we didn't think you could play here, contribute, like just chill out at the same time. Do realize that it is. And we do turn a lot of kids away and there's kids that would take your spot in a second if we opened up the opportunity for them. So um, do you think, um, just cause I have younger cousins and stuff, not saying that them, but like, obviously you see like how younger generations are now. Is it, I feel like, cause I've asked a lot of coaches I've had this and they all said it is, they haven't gone into like specifics with me and I'm talking not college coaches I've had, but like old high school coaches and travel coaches is right. more so that it's so hard to critique kids nowadays, or even like you said, like being a good friend, like, um, like I'll give Frank a shout out. Like Frank's always chirping me about something stupid, but it's like something that he knows, like I'll be like, all right, motherfucker. And like, I'll do better or, but even though it's like a joke, right. but he's, he's not, it's more so of like, he's being harsh and chirping me because that's our relationship. But it's in a like, Hey, like, what are you doing here? Type thing. Um, do you think that like, especially from your experience, 
and stuff um, that like kids don't understand like hey like I'm trying to make you better like you wouldn't be here if I didn't think or I saw potential in you so like while you're here you have to understand that when I'm reaming you out ripping a new one all that it's just to make you better because I don't know from afar it looks like want to be like told to the best and like they don't know how to take that criticism or like how you got to high point thinking you were probably going to play right away type of thing like hey yeah you're not in shape and you might be a d-mid like you probably a part of you was probably like fuck like would it like maybe questioning what your what your intentions were there um or on the flip side be like no fuck that i don't want to play d-mid i want to play offense and i got to do what i got to do able to handle that like you said thick thick uh skin criticism like what are your thoughts on that yeah, man, it's tough. Like, um, I, I feel I feel like I, I sound old when I'm saying this, but like, I think everybody in the coaching world has acknowledged that there's been a culture shift in the way that you can give criticism. And like, you know, honestly, like that, you know, that hard nosed coach, that's like, you know, motherfucking people through practice, like that's not very common in high school anymore. I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe in certain sports, like you, you'll always have like that one football coach that's old school that's going to rip you a new one. But um, it's definitely changed. Coaches. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely changed, man. And it's tough because, you know, I think that there's plenty of coaches out there that coach, you know, Division One, Two, Three doesn't matter, right? That have sort of evolve the way that they coach and and maybe try to get away with you know not blowing a gasket at practice and you know losing their voice yelling at people but at the end of the day sometimes that's necessary and you know like I think coach our coaching staff made it pretty clear right away that they're like guys the reason we're yelling at you the reason we're giving you criticism is because we care and we want you to see we want to see you be better right and um you know one of the things that it's hard to hear as a player, but, you know, if you go in in the coach's office and you're, you're frustrated and you're explaining, you know, coach, I'm not playing the way that I, I feel like I should be playing and, you know, this, that, or the other. And for them to co- like, this is something that happened pretty regularly with Torpy coach Torpy, my freshman year is he was like, look, man, if you're not happy with how you're playing, you just got to get better. And, and, and that wasn't like, you know, you know, fuck off go get better on your own. That was like, a, will help you get better. You know, if you ask the right questions and you come in with film and, and you want to break down things and go out on the field and work, like I'll, I'll do that. I'll be there. But if you're frustrated, like there's nothing I can do. Like I can't wave a magic wand and, you know, you be better and be playing to the potential that you think you can play right now. It's like at the end of the day, if you're not playing the way you want to play, get better. And he said, you know, one of the things that we did um, is, in the fall, especially, maybe not so much in the spring when we're playing games, but we would do a player-driven depth chart and they would do a coach's depth chart. And they would break down every position in their eyes, you know, how they see the lineup. And then, you know, we would do a peer one, fill it out on a Google sheet. They would, you know, do all of the number crunching and then they would send it out to us. And He's like at practice the day after they release those depth charts, you know, at, you know, visibly there would be guys that would be frustrated with how their peers rank them, how the coaching staff ranks them. And he's like, look, if you're not happy with where you're at on that sheet, get better. It's like, if you're happy with where you are on that sheet, understand that there are guys that 
want your spot and are going to keep working. So if you're not working, they're going to catch up. And like that level of transparency was always, was always really important. And for me, it's like, man, like, I don't know that I showed up to school thinking that I was going to play right away. I think like, you know, there, I've always kind of had like a, I've always felt like I've worked for what I've gotten in my life. And, you know, not Mm -hmm. at all to say that, like, I understand that, um, you know, the, the way I was, where I was raised, how my parents raised me, like, you know, even like, you know, being a white male in the United States, like, I understand that there's plenty of things that, you know, are out of my control that have put me in a a position to succeed. and, And I'm willing to acknowledge those things. But as far as athletics go, um, man, I've worked for everything in my life. I've always been a guy that has had to uh, put in extra work and, and have, you know, you know, maybe at times in my life, I felt like I've picked up things naturally, but um, by no means did I show up thinking that I was going to be on the field right away. What I wasn't ready for was, holy shit, man, you're the last guy on the depth chart. (laughs) Like, you know, it hurts, man. You look at your peer, your peer depth chart and see that you're dead last on the team. Basically it's like, man, like what am I even doing here? Um, but you know, there's kind of two ways you can look at that. You can like pack it in and just go through the motions and, or, or leave like, you know, plenty of people don't make it through their, their four years at, at a division one, two or three school for, you know, various reasons. But you know, some people are just not cut out for it or you can be like, you know what? Fuck that. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to put the work in and I'm going to, I'm going to get better. And I think that's, that's actually a really good kind of segue into like my experience at school in general is I played offense in high school. Um, not that, it's funny. It's not that it matters. It was like junior year. I was uh all American midfielder senior. Year, I was an all American attack. Cause I just made that switch because they wanted me on the field more. And um, you know, you show up to school and realize that so was everybody else everybody on that team was an all American in high school. Like, and the best part is nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like, and it's like, Oh man, that was cool. Like, all right, what can you do now? And, uh, I got a wake up call pretty quick. I, I showed up, I thought I was in shape and I wasn't. And, uh, I thought my stick heels were good and they weren't. And, you know, had to like sit down in the offensive coordinator's office and hear him say like, look, man, um, we're going to try out a D mid and then run out on the field as at D mid for, you know, the second half of the fall and, you know, get roasted over and over and over and over again. Uh, hardest position in lacrosse, I'll say. Uh, for I, I completely agree. I completely agree. <laughs> but, um, you know, get to the point where Coach Torby's like, man, like, I don't, you know, you're not in good enough shape to play D mid. Uh, so, you know, go talk to Coach Tracy again. And I go and back into the coach offensive coordinator's office and he goes look man like at this point i think uh you know you might be able to play offense for us at your your junior year if you keep working at it you know that's i understand that there's a pecking order especially you know with uh with college sports and even pro but that really fuck it just killed me to hear that i was like there's no shot i'm waiting until my junior year to get on the field (laughs) i was like you know was I ready to play in that moment? No, but I was like, you know what? I got a Christmas break. I'm going to go home for like four weeks and I'm going to do what I need to do to show up ready to go. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, it's hard to hear some like a coach say that to you, but if it motivates you, then they're a good coach. Right. So went home, 
conditioned like crazy and, you know, just kind of grinded. And, you know, for I, I'm sure you can relate and a lot of other athletes can relate to this is when you go home and see your friends for the first time, it's tough to say no to Friday night parties and, and, you know, do hanging out with them all the time and, and doing dumb shit. But like, I had a goal in mind and, you know, you make sacrifices to put yourself in a, in a position to succeed and ultimately showed up, you know, spring of my freshman year in incredible shape, you know, was one of the top guys on the run test and um, put myself in a position to play D mid. And, you know, it's still, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing at the time, but, you know, I learned pretty early that it's like, if you want to get on the field, you got to do whatever you need to do to get on the field, right? If that's taking face-off wings, if that is, you know, playing D mid, if that's being like a, a power play guy or, uh, you know, a man down guy, like just figure out a way to get on the field. Cause you know, I'll be the first to say like on the field experience trumps any practice experience, you know, you could possibly get like, you know, I'm going to say it like, there's always going to be a couple guys that are like practice player heroes. And uh, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> wrong. With, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Right. But like, you could be the best player in practice all week long and get on the field and drop the ball on your first possession and get pulled. And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> You know, like at the end of the day, Saturdays are, are where it counts in, for Division One lacrosse. And, um, yeah, so got experience playing um, D-mid. And then, you know, while I was playing defense throughout that that season, I was still going out and shooting on my own. And I think, you know, you do a lot of up-down, you know, transition-type drills throughout the week and practice and, and kind of continue to show that I was capable on offense and – I think eventually once we got the conference kind of like put myself in a position to, you know, make that second midfield line. Mm-hmm. And so I finally had some chances to play offense, which was, um, you know, a blast and, and it was tough and it, you know, it was a learning experience for sure. But, uh, and, you know, obviously like second line, depending on the team you play for, like second line min- minutes are pretty limited sometimes. And, you know, you make a mistake and you might get yanked for the rest of the game, but, you know, you try to grind and put yourself in a position to be back, back on the field that next week. And, um, yeah, got a ton of experience and ultimately showed up for my sophomore year, worked my way onto the first line throughout that fall and, and never looked back. Right. And I was mm-hmm. grateful for those reps on D mid because, you know, I was kind of the guy that would get in the hole and play defense if we needed to uh, take away transition, especially from teams like Robert Morris with all those Canadians running like crazy on the field. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I continue what you're saying. My bad. I thought... No, I was. Yeah, you're good. Oh, yeah. So all all that experience, like obviously, do you think that? And the only reason I'm asking it this way is because I was watching a one of those like ESPN All Access, and they had um, it was on Alabama, which you know, being from the South, you probably know way more about Bama football and just like what it like Southern football is really about versus us Northern people. Um, but Nick Saban, they always showed clips of Nick Saban ripping players new ones like and it'll be like first team all-americans and then you hear stories about how um alvin camara was at bama and it was like him 
Henry, Josh Jacobs, who all three of those dudes are all like top 10 get fantasy and are just like studs. But the depth is deep that Bama that it's like next man up. You you're you're really good, but you got to go there and you got to sit the bench. You got to wait your turn. Do you? And he talks. He was talking about how there is a process, and that through that process, you end up learning way better life lessons, and it teaches you embrace the grind, embrace you know, really putting yourself in a struggling position. But nowadays, you see it. So many kids are transferring schools left and right. Do you think that a lot of people nowadays try to run from that, or do you think that that's on more so the coach to build that culture and have it be a gritty blue collar culture? Like I said, I yeah. feel like a lot of kids still having to do the grind as if you are a starter, but then being at the end of the depth chart and having to do more to prove that you are worthy of being a starter, I don't think is a lot of things that a lot of uh, high school kids are aware of before going into a program. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, man, like, uh, I'll touch on the work part first and then and then kind of circle back to the, the transfer thing is – it's important to know before you go in that division one lacrosse is a job division one sports in general. It's a job. I mean, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, depending on where you go, right. 12 to 16, you know, credits per semester. So like, you know, four or five classes, depending on kind of what your major is and stuff. Um, and on top of that, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 hours a week, you know, give or take what's sanctioned and what's not, you know, you're practicing probably in the fall five to six times a week, lifting three to four times a week, and you have class, and you have team meetings, and you have required study hall at a lot of places, and you might have film that you have to do with the coaches, or, you know, maybe the captains are leading something. It's just, it's a lot. And, you know, I think that there's, in, in my experience with guys that I've played with is like, I think you don't have to be necessarily like a total diehard lax rat. Like lacrosse is the only thing you want to do every day to succeed. Right. There's plenty of people that have like a very balanced, you know, I say work life because, you know, lacrosse in this sense is your work. It's like a lot of guys have good balance. A lot of guys can like, you know, clock in, get their work done and then, you know, sort of turn it off and relax and, you know, have a good time with their buddies. And, and it's important. It, it is also important to have that balance. And I think, you know, that I kind of was on a roller coaster a little bit because, you know, I'll be the first to say like my freshman and sophomore year, I was a bit of a hardo and um, <laughs> you know, like it, it, I was man. And like, and you know, we weren't, we weren't very successful my freshman year. I think we won like four games and uh, you know, not to say that I was coming from a high school program that was like, you know, like a powerhouse and like winning mm -hmm. all the time, but like, I just hate losing. And it, and it kind of drove me nuts that, you know, I felt at the time, you know, looking back on a much more naive Dalton, I felt like at the time, like, you know, like I was putting in all this work and I was not seeing other people put in the work. And, and in that sense, like had a really selfish mindset of like, you know, like guys, like, what are we doing here? Like, we're not winning games. You guys aren't taking this seriously. And, and then I grew up a bit <laughs> and then, you know, had a chance to step back and be like, you know, everybody's not me. Right. No has like exactly the same mindset and you know I learned part of stepping into the role of of being a captain and, and growing into my senior and fifth year is like I, I can't hold 
everybody on the team to the standards that I hold myself, because I do really have high standards for myself. And, you know, in that sense, I'm sometimes my own worst critic. And, and, and sometimes I feel like I'm slipping into, you know, kind of being a perfectionist, which can both help and hurt you. But um, I, I had to kind of step back and realize that, you know, there's a lot of different personalities and you got to enable guys to, to be themselves and, you know, ultimately will that you'll get the most out of them. You know, like there's, there's always going to be guys on the team that like to have more fun than other guys and, you know, try to get away with going out during the week and, and, you know, doing all that stuff. And you have to, you know, you have to let them do that. Right. You, you can't, be a hardo all the time, right? There's a balance of, you know, being a good leader is, yeah, okay, you're going to hold your teammates accountable, but at the same time, you got to let them be a human too, right? Let them be a college student. Um, yeah, how how did you, how did you, how did you, how were you able to like, because there was, um, I know Frank and I had this discussion, there was a couple kids at Hobart, uh, not naming names, that were like, I, in my personal opinion, I felt they were hard asses just because they were like junior seniors. And they're right. like, um, I'm older. I'm trying to set an example, but on the week, like how I'm like, Oh, I get, I like, I get what you're trying to do, but at the same time, like you're also being one of us on the weekends and you're yelling right. at me for doing the same type of shit. You're doing. like, I, I kind of think you're a fraud. Like, I don't really care what you have to say, which right, ultimately right. isn't good for the team culture. I mean, I never publicly came out and said that or anything, but obviously you have those thoughts. Um, when did you, if at all, like realize, cause I realized this not from myself, just like conversations with like other teammates and stuff is that not everyone is there to try to do the same thing you are. So 100%. for you, for example, if you're like, all right, you know, I definitely want to play if I get the chance to play pro. Um, so that's, that's definitely a motivation. I, I want to be an all American. Like, I'm just like saying these hypotheticals. I don't know if you, that right. was actually your mindset, but then you get other kids that are like, yo, I don't like pro lax players aren't making NFL NBA money. Like, I'm trying to get a job. Like I only came to play lacrosse cause I got school paper and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm trying right. to, you know, talk to, talk to some chicks, crush the beers on the weekend, stay in shape. Um, win a couple games, but like, yo, there's a reason I didn't go to Duke or Virginia. Like, I'm just trying to have a good time. Then you have other teammates that, you know, that that's not their outlook. So how do you, as like a, from a captain's perspective, or at least especially since you co you have coach now and stuff, do you, do you think it's, how do you, I don't even know how to ask this. Like, how do you find that balance? Because it's, it's so easy to rub people away and be like, fuck that kid. Yeah, dude, you know, the, the thing that I realized is that um, you have to let people be themselves un, un, until it gets to the point where maybe it's like hurting the, the welfare of the team, right? Mm -hmm. So from like a captain standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, you know, you have personalities that range from Hardo to, you know, I don't even really care about lacrosse. I'm just here to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And you know, at the end of the day, like you have to connect with every individual on the team and understand where they're coming from and then kind of tailor, you know, your approach to those individuals, you know, after the fact. So, so the, the biggest wake up, I, you kind of touched on it, but the biggest wake up call for me was my junior year. I don't, I can't remember if it was the end of the fall or the beginning of the spring. We had, we ran for captains and, um, you know, I ran and 
really genuinely in my heart believed that I was going to be a captain my junior year. And the reason I did is at the time I was playing really well. Um, I was a guy that was trying to lead from the front when it came to practice and when it came to, you know, vocally and, you know, not getting in trouble off the week, uh, you know, in the, on the weekends, like off the field, you know, getting good grades. Like I was trying to do all the right things and I was doing the right things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't get it right. I didn't get the votes and, uh, it crushed me. And I, I sat in coach Torpy's office and, you know, just was trying to digest how it was that I didn't get it. And I think, you know, this is in hindsight of even, even saying it out loud, it's really selfish. Um, and he said something to me that, you know, I, I took in full stride. He's like, man, like, yeah, you do all the right things, but what are your relationships with the, with the guys like? And he's like, yeah, you get along with all the guys that are like you that want to work hard and win games and, and get good grades and all that stuff. But he's like, how do you get along with the guys that are just here, you know, to, to more or less check a box, right. And, and get mm-hmm. a degree and get a job and, and have a good time on the weekend and be a college student. It's like, how are your relationship with those guys? And I really realized that like, there was plenty of guys on the team that kind of fell into that second category that I, I wasn't close with. And he was like, man, like being a leader is so much more about relationships than it is like doing the right thing all the time. And so that, that was kind of a switch for me that kind of like, I flipped that switch and I realized that, you know, the relationships mattered a lot more. And so I pursued that second group of individuals and made sure that, you know, my relationship with everybody on the team from top to bottom was was solid and I knew who they were and like what they cared about and what drove them and why they were here. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't transactional in any means. I wasn't doing it so I could become a captain, but I realized through those, you know, building those relationships that, um, you know, being a leader was so much more. And by the time I got, you know, voted a captain my senior year, like I, I didn't even really want the title anymore. It wasn't about the title at that point. Right. It was just being, you know, about being, the best teammate I could be and, and, you know, vouching for the guys and, you know, being like a, you know, a liaison of sorts between, you know, guys on the team, if they didn't feel like they could go to the coaching staff with a question and, you know, kind of, kind of rolled into the, my, my fifth year this with the same, you know, with the same mindset and so glad that I did too. Right. Because I've got relationships with guys that, you know, you know, freshman or sophomore, me wouldn't have been tight with that are like, you know, my, my dudes for life now. So it's, it's important to understand, like, from a leadership standpoint that, you know, really is like, yeah, I mean, you should be doing the right things, right? Because you don't want to be in a position where, you know, like you said, right, like, guys that are like frauds, to be honest, right? Like, you're a guy that like, if you're a junior or senior, and are just trying to like, say things, but then on the flip side, you're doing all the things you're saying, you're, you know, telling freshmen not to do. It's like, you never want to put yourself in that position. So, you know, obviously in a sense, it's important to do the right things, but um, it's just about more than that. Yeah. There was a, um, well, one of the, one of the big reasons I, I mean, it's not like I'm trashing or speaking negatively. I'm just being, but it wasn't bad at all. Like that was like something that kind of drove me crazy when I was at Hobart. Um, which like my first year I was there, it wasn't, it was a lot of like, um, you know, 
upperclassmen are saying do X, Y, Z. But then on the weekends, everyone's doing ABC. But then the kids that right. weren't playing were – the kids that weren't playing were the kids that are like, yo, you need to pick it up. When it's like, yo, we're doing – we're all doing the same thing. So why are right. – why, why are we being singled out? Or not me personally, but it was just like certain things I know. And then it's funny because when I transferred to Mercyhurst, uh, shout out uh, Trevor Vargo, great guy. Um, he was our cap. Trevor Vargo was our captain at Mercyhurst um, when I got there. And I was technically a junior. But I was a sophomore because not all my credits came with me and I had an extra year right. and stuff like that. So um, and I actually played against Trevor in high school. And I hated playing against him. I actually, um, like me and Trevor, our, our boys, I've had him on the podcast before. And I told him this too. Like, I used to hate him. Like, I was like, uh, I like, I didn't even transfer to Mercier's because he was the captain. And I'm like, yo, right. I, I was thinking same thing. I'm like, <laughs> oh, this dude's going to be on my ass. I'm like, this guy's going to be on my ass. Uh, I kind of thought he was a dick in high school. And these are all things I've told him. So it's not like he's hearing things yeah, that yeah. he doesn't know um is i'm just like dude this guy's gonna be such a dick like all this so i went on my visit um to mercyhurst before transferring and and that one of the best times of my life best best visit i've had super nice it was almost like awkward for me in a way because i like didn't want to like try to be like boys and like you know <laughs> be very personable because i'm like i don't know if i'm being set up i don't know if it's like more so coaches like hey, he's coming in make sure he wants to come here type thing right. um but then like throughout that year it was always like something i was very conscious of is that like i didn't want to be the guy that was like because coach was like you know when you come in i'm gonna have you run in second line you're gonna play right away but you gotta earn that you gotta like you gotta earn the right to keep that spot and right. i was always like okay i don't know how the kids at this school are gonna be i didn't along with a lot of the people um that i went to hobart with just because i just i don't know i didn't fit nothing like combative or controversial or anything like that and i was like okay i definitely don't want to be the kid that coach is just given things to and like kids become right. resentful and stuff so i kind of just was like kept quiet me and one thing that i always noticed that and i brought this up to trevor is he was, to me, he was a great captain, and same with uh, Marco Moronsky, who was another captain we had, because they were never, they were never like, yo, you, they were never calling you out. It was more so of just like, look, this is what coach is expecting of us, not being a dick. This is where you are, and if you're not to where you should be, it comes down on me, and look, I'm just trying to survive these conditioning tests, these practices. I'm trying to survive all this with you. Like, I'm not above you. We're all at eye level. Yeah. So, like can you for me can you not do these things or for me can you extra reps for me can you do right. this and it was never about like coaching stuff like that and um i i thought i had a great relationship with trevor because of that like there'd be times where i'm going to class because i'm like i don't need to, i don't need to go to class like they give a, out a study guide before the exam i'd get caught um i'd be stupid things on the weekend and i remember the uh i was doing we were playing 44 and you know, like the chicken wing move everyone does, yep. <laughs> like where you yep. swim someone. Yeah. So I'm always taller, like I'm six, three. So I was always taller than everyone. So I would do it like as a hard cup swim back. Well, the one kid, the one time hooked me and you know how like a defender can like, like lift his stick, but keep it there so that like, he's kind of holding you and you can't get your yeah, yeah. other hand free and yep. he blows the whistle. And I'm not like, I, how I am is like, if I don't think it's valid and I know this is not really a good thing, but like, if I don't think it's valid and you scream at me, I'm going to scream right back at you. Like, I don't know why right. it's just how I am. Like, it's not in like a fuck you way. 
And so I remember he, he blows the whistle. He's like, what the hell is that? What are you doing? He's like, what are you, a fairy? What is this shit? Just run. I'm like, he's holding me. I'm like, he's holding me. That's a, you're, I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? He's clearly holding me. And he turned around, walked so close to me. And he goes, end line, everyone. He's like, practice is over. And I was just like, and that was one of my there. And I was just like, oh, right. fuck. Like the guy I'm not trying to be, I already did day one. I'm already that guy. And I remember Trevor put and it's funny you say Torpy because we had a teammate named uh, Alex Torpy is both of we're just like, yo, like chill, like just don't talk back to him because everything that someone does wrong or doesn't do, he takes that on. We all need to be like together on one page here, which looking back, I don't feel a lot of captains do because I feel like a lot of captains are like, oh, I'm an extension of the coach. Now it's time yeah. to go from being one of the boys to I got to prove to coach that he made the right decision rather than just being like, yo, look, like whether I'm captain or not, we have a goal. We're trying to accomplish right. something like, like, like I remember every practice after stretching warm up, coach would say something before we go with line drills. Um, not naming names. We always had a teammate that's like, boys, just don't suck today. Cause I don't feel like fucking listening to him. <laughs> and it was always like a joke. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. Like, we all, we all joke and say that we all bonded around the, like not liking coach, but it wasn't that we didn't like him. It was just more so we were just like, yo, we're about to get put through hell for two hours plus lifting plus running. Like help me help you. Like, let's just have each other backs. And as long as we all do that, like there's not going to be any like, you know, big brother type calling each other out. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, practices got chippy stuff intense. Like there was fights, but like um, one of our, I'm getting long winded here. And the last thing I'll say before I get back to you is uh, Casey Dowd. I don't know if you know him. He played yeah, for the I know Casey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he played for the Water Dogs. You gotta, you honestly have to ask him because he was our he was our grad assistant my first year there, and he was even saying that he's never been around a group of guys that will beat the shit out of each other, say disrespectful type chirps to each other, coaches literally having to stop practice to rip 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 us off each other because we're getting so. And on the second we leave the field, it's like, yo, what are we doing tonight? Where are we all going to dinner? And we're all yeah. like one unit, and yeah. so. I the, the like comparing like the two between how Hobart was and how Mercyhurst was. It was there was never like everyone was eye level with each other, but we all knew within ourselves that like okay, that dude is not a starter, but we're gonna try to get them to eventually become a starter versus being like oh he's useless and having that attitude towards them. Right. Yeah. No. We definitely we definitely had a similar. Uh, I had a similar experience too because you know at the end of the day like there would just be days where, you know, we kind of look at, I guarantee he's going to listen to this. He's going to say something about it, but man, there would be days where Torby would walk out to practice. We'd be like, Oh, he's on one. Like he's just looking for something. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can just tell by coach's face, like just the way they're walking when you're doing line drills and shit. It's like, yo, if we drop one pass, (laughs) this dude's going to make a sprint until we throw up. Yeah. And honestly, you know, sometimes I'll be honest, like sometimes we, you know, we, you definitely need that as a team. And, and it's funny, like we talk about this all the time, but like the, the things that you remember about your experience in college playing lacrosse are not like, okay, maybe sometimes it's like a, a win or like, you know, a big moment like on the field. But for the most part, it's like punishment runs, like fights that happen, like chirps that are thrown uh, and, you know, stuff like that. Like, and, and, you know, we were kind of the same way, man. We had uh, in the fall, if anybody gets in trouble, um on or off the field like 
the the team pays for it as a group. And then in the spring, yep. once we're in season, like if, if you mess something up, then okay, well now it's kind of on you. But um, man, I, I, I can remember it like it's yesterday. Day one of my high point experience. We get in trouble on, you know, Friday night or Saturday night, whatever. And we get a text on Sunday. All right, fellas, see you at 5 a.m. on the turf. Uh, Wear your trainers. Bring a water and a piece of fruit. And, you know, we did, you know, looking back, like, one of the hardest workouts I've ever done in, you know, a variation of a deck of cards for God knows how long. Um, And that was day one. That was literally my first experience as a high point Panther was just going through the trenches with my buddies because somebody decided to make a bad decision on the weekend. But at the end of the day, that type of stuff makes you better uh, or, you know, makes you closer. And those are the type of, you know, things that you ultimately remember, like, I played a lot of games in my college experience and there's probably like three or four that I can actually remember, (laughs) Um, you know, because maybe they're monumental wins, but I tell you what, I remember every single one of the, one of those punishment runs. And I remember Mm -hmm. most of the conditioning tests and I remember all the fights that I was in and, or watched in practice. Um, So yeah, that stuff's important. And, and it's like coach Torby will even say, um, cause we we've had a conversation about it since is like, sometimes you have to have like a, you know, like, fuck you coach. We're going to prove you wrong mentality. Sometimes you mm-hmm. have to, you know, it's not, it's not all happy go lucky. And like, he, he's willing to be the bad guy if, sometimes if it means that we're going to, you know, get tighter as a group or figure some stuff out. So. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was wonder that. Cause I know obviously like that makes or breaks like a team in terms of like, and it looks like, you know, kind of like transitioning it to, you know, you playing for the bandits and stuff is it seems from afar, like you guys are super tight knit, which obviously that like correlates on the field. Is that like the case? Or are you guys just like stacked as a roster? Like what's the dynamic there? Cause I know again, oh. it's totally, it's totally different going from college because it's like, when you're playing pro, I would imagine that it's like, okay, you have a full-time job as well. you got family obligations. you got personal obligations. Whereas, like, when you're in college, they're really, like, the last four or five years that you could just have reckless abandonment. And it just is like, okay, like, doesn't matter. I'm young and reckless type type. Whereas now it's like guys are playing for spots, financial incentives. Is it harder to, you know, hit it off in the pro locker room? Or was it more so just, like, what you see on the field in terms of, is strictly due to how tight you guys are yeah so i'll kind of attack that question in in pieces so we are extremely tight like it absolutely like the way the chemistry on the floor very much resembles the chemistry off the floor um Mm -hmm. you know genuinely i can say there's not a single guy on that team that i don't like like we're we're tight you know, we have a, we have a pretty, you know, we have a wide age range. We've got like, you know, some serious like seasoned veterans in, uh, in Vino and, you know, our captain, uh, Steve Priolo. And then, you know, I think we had like four rookies on the team this year. Um, you know, Sam Toga, Brad, uh, Kaz, Sam, L- or, uh, sorry, Stewie. Like we had a lot of young guys and a lot of old guys. And so, so in that sense, we had like an interesting dynamic, but, it uh 
Yeah. And the, the thing that I think is super interesting too, is for the most part, right. Professional lacrosse is considered a weekend league. And, you know, that is not a term that, you know, necessarily people are like pumped about, like, obviously you want to take it as seriously as you can. And you want to obviously you do have to do things throughout the week to prep for the weekend. But for the most part, the teams in this league practice on, you know, like the Friday night before the Saturday game, uh, Buffalo, Toronto, I think, uh, Rochester, maybe like one or two other teams practice during the week. Um, and so that's different because, you know, geographically you have to be in a position that you can go to practice during the week. So for me, like, you know, my parents are just south of uh, Charlotte right now. Like I couldn't live at home if I wanted to, because we practice on Wednesday nights in, in Oakville. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not going to, they're not going to pay to fly me in every week. Um, and like, if you miss, if you miss Wednesday practice, well, you know, your odds of playing on Saturday, you know, go down, right. Cause they need to see you play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the benefit of that is, you know, we practice really hard. Like we honestly, Coach Tavares will occasionally put us through some really, really, really tough practices and, and we get after it. And there's, you know, occasionally like screaming matches between the O and the D. And, you know, in that sense, it honestly resembles my college experience really well because that type of stuff does make you closer. And at the end of the day, like you can practice a lot harder on a Tuesday or Wednesday than you can on a Friday the night before you play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, in that sense, that's important. The other thing that I find super interesting about this league is, the two teams that were in the finals um, in Colorado and um, Buffalo are the teams with the most amount of guys living in market. Um, So I think I did the math one day. I think we have like 11 guys that live in market, Um, you know, in market being like, for example, Brad or cause or chase, like all guys from BC you know, live in Buffalo during the season rather than having them just like fly to the, wherever the location of the game is going to be. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, same thing. Like I played two years with Connor Robinson um, who had an incredible finals in playoffs series. And, you know, as much as I hate to lose and hate that we lost, you know, knowing how tight we were and knowing how hard we worked for it, you know, I, I can't lie. It was, it was nice to see Connor have so much success and see him grow into the player that, you know, he can be. So, but, you know, talking to him about it, they had like 10 guys living in market. And so, you know, you, you, you live with the guys, you train with the guys throughout the week, you know, you go play golf and, you know, maybe, you know, if we have a week off, you know, you're going out with the guys and, and all that type of stuff, you know, like, I, I don't think any would be, anyone is surprised by the fact that you have chemistry off the floor. It's, it's going to show up in the play, you know, if you, you know, not to say that, other teams aren't, aren't close by any means. Right. Like I think there are a lot of really tight locker rooms in this, in this league, but the more time you spend with people, the closer you're going to get. I mean, it's just, it's like a pretty direct correlation. Right. So um, yeah, we're, we're super tight, but you know, to kind of address a different part of the question is like pro is different in a, in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, I've had these conversations with coach Torpy. I've had these conversations with my dad and other guys on the team is like, it's really tough right? You know, you're, you're like battling for the opportunity to play on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And for you to play, it means somebody else is not gonna. Um, and so it's like this, 
you know, you're kind of like dancing on this line of, of trying to be selfish in the sense that like, I'm not going to lie. Like I want to play, but at the same time, if you're not going to play on Saturday and somebody else is, you got to be ready to drop everything to support them in whatever way you can. Right. Cause like, you know, we need everybody to succeed so that we can win these games. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was moments this year where, you know, it's tough, right? We, we had such a stacked team and such a season, you know, veteran defense that there was honestly like no point when, when everybody was healthy at no point during the season, would I ever say like, Oh, I should be playing over this guy or that guy. Like, because man, like I'm a team first guy. I just wanted to win games. And it's like, I was a rookie this year, you know, relatively green as far as, you know, indoor lacrosse is concerned. And, you know, it's, this year was just like a really big opportunity for me to learn and grow. Um, but I wanted to win games and I didn't want like me to me playing to take over, you know, the mindset of like putting the team first. But in that sense, like it is very, it's tricky, right? Like you're talking about, playing is you know people's well-being like you know everybody pretty much for the most part has jobs outside of um lacrosse and they're doing what they need to do to take care of their families and themselves financially but you know the difference of playing and not playing or the difference of being on active roster and practice roster financially is is different right so it's uh it's a challenge right because you know one of the things that i've taken pride in um is is my entire athletic career is being a good teammate. Uh, you know, I, I would rather, I would rather finish, you know, when I hang up, you know, hang up the cleats, you know, down, hopefully, hopefully years down the road from now, if I don't win any championships or I don't win any like individual accolades or any of that, or like never wear an A or a C, as long as my teammates say that I was a good teammate and put the team first, like that's all that matters to me. And I think that, you know, if you have enough guys on a roster with that mentality, then, you know, the other stuff kind of falls into place. And I do think no. that we had that sort of vibe in the locker room is, is we were a very unselfish, you know, others first culture. And I think that when you have guys like that and buy that buy into that message, then the wins just happen. Yeah, no, that's because that I don't know. It's just it's a little different just because uh, I, you know, obviously I met you. I met you once. Uh, I met Burns once up in Rochester with Frank. Know Frank really well. Uh, grew up playing with Fields, too. So, like, just obviously knowing like how close you guys are, it just to me, it makes sense that like, oh, OK, that's why you guys are. I mean, you guys have a stacked roster from top to bottom, no doubt. But obviously, like, it's a little bit different when, you know, like you said, Financial implications on the line, you know, you for a lot of people, you know, this makes or break what type of second job they have and stuff like that. And it just right. that like um, you hear stories. I mean, you don't hear them all the time because obviously the media would go crazy, but you hear stories of, of like NBA locker rooms or NFL locker rooms where and obviously that's a much bigger pool of players um, in the NFL um less in the nba of course but you hear stories all the time that like come out years later where people are like nah they didn't really fuck with each other or th those guys like were just you know making it work for the for the success of the team but then you see really successful teams like you guys were that you know ultimately sometimes don't win and i'm always curious like is that like the culture of the team because like i said i've been on teams where i've experienced like toxic like bullshit culture and then i've been on teams where everyone loves each other everyone knows the role and 
the kids that aren't playing, obviously they want to play, but they're like, yo, like I'm not better than the guy me. And that's fine. Cause like, he's going to help us win more than I would. Um, so I was always curious, like if it's like that um, in the pros. And the other thing is you obviously being from Texas and not being a hotbed, you know, getting the high point, pretty much having your back against the wall, being last on the depth chart, going through that grinding process and then getting to the bandits. And there you are again, back at square one. It, look at it as more so of like the higher up I go, there is just levels to it. And when I reach that new level, just like when you're a kid playing video games, it's like, okay, it's going to take some time for me to get past this level. Or do you take that, the approach of just like, uh, and I'm more so like going to get my feet wet the first couple of years. So that year three, four, five, I'm so much better than I would be had I started right away. Is that something that ever crosses your mind? I don't know if I asked that yeah. properly. I, yeah, no, I understand what you're, I understand what you're getting at for sure. Um, so I think at this point in my life, my experience at high point, um, starting at square one and being essentially stripped of who I was and then kind of like rebuilt into the person I am now, um, definitely prepared me for my experience with the bandits. Um, and it's, and it's tough, right? Like you never want to show up and, and be back at square one. Like, you know, you, you graduate senior, you know, senior of high school, top of the world, you know, think you're the man and then, you know, show up your freshman year of college and you have to start all over again, you know, nobody. And, you know, you're low man on the totem pole and like it, but it's like that in a lot of ways, like in life everywhere, right? Like you, you take on a new job or you move companies or you move somewhere else. like, you know, that type of thing happens all the time. And so I kind of just, this year bought into the same process that worked when I was at high point, you know, I kind of understood where I was at, um, understood where I wanted to be. And then, you know, kind of put my head down to work. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. I, I think, I think the one thing that's interesting about pro two that's different than college is like, as far as, as far as, you know, we talked about like that packing order, seniority, like that type of stuff is concerned. When you're at college, if you're, you know, a freshman, right, or maybe you're a sophomore and you're on the third line and you're looking at that first line being stocked full of seniors, knowing that those guys are going to leave after the year and then you're going to have a position to step into, it's completely different in pro because nobody's graduating. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, guys, re- guys retire, but like, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in four years, right? For the most part, especially defenders, right? That you know, you can have an incredible, you know, eight, ten, fifteen year career as a D guy, and uh, you know, the the older you get, okay, you know, like, you get to a point where athletically you start to decline, but you know at the same time you're becoming so much more knowledgeable about the sport and you're becoming so much smarter that it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. And, and you never, you never drop off. Right. So it's, it is daunting sometimes to like look at the team we have now and be like, man, how am I going to get on the floor? Like, I, and I, and I totally, you know, I'll be the first to say like, it, it's, it was challenging this year for sure. Um, because I think I, you know, like 
square one my freshman year at high point, but then, you know, kind of figured it out and eventually put myself in a position where I was playing every game. Um, and I've sort of like, you know, like kind of like, you know, your worth type thing, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there is like an immense, an immense uh, level of gratitude that I even made the team in the first place because man, being from Texas is one thing, but you know, not playing a lot of box lacrosse until, you know, like a little bit in college and, you know, a tiny bit in high school, like, man, I showed up with no expectations to training camp. And I, I, you know, I had like a couple of things in mind. I was like, I'm going to work my bag off. I'm going to be super coachable. I'm going to make sure like I'm in the best shape of my life when I get there. Like those types of things I had, you know, in the back of my mind. And like, those are the things that, you know, talk about all the time, right? Control what you can control. Those were things that I was like, all right, you know, that stuff is going to get taken care of. But as far as what happens after that, like I had no idea. And yeah, man, like I, I moved up to Buffalo kind of on a, on a, like it, it was a chase and a dream, man. Like I, I was the volunteer assistant at Canisius and, you know, we can talk about coaching and down, uh, you know, a little later, but not really getting paid uh, to coach and, you know, not expecting necessarily to play every game and make all of my salary, my fresh or, you know, my first year. Um, it was chasing a dream for sure. And it was kind of one step at a time, you know, met some of the guys, started training with some of the guys, showed up to training camp and, you know, kind of made it past those first rounds of cuts and then made it past the second rounds of cuts. And then eventually, you know, found myself signing a practice roster um, contract, which I was, you know, more than thrilled with. And then, you know, just had the opportunity to learn from, you know, these guys this year, like Ethan O'Connor, uh, big shout out to him. He's, he's been legend. <laughs> he's legend. Been incredible. Yeah. Hobart alum. Um, uh, he was, an, he's been an incredible mentor to me. Uh, he's a guy that I rode up to, to training camp and, and practice with all season long. And it has essentially like poured into me everything that I needed to know, given me criticism when I needed to hear it, given me, you know, kind of like pumped my tires when I was feeling low about something and, and has just encouraged me to buy into the process and, and understand that, you know, eventually I'll get my time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's has tough, he hit right? you with, uh, has he hit you with his wise word? Oh, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. That he yeah, says yeah. To, to so, everyone, they're the simple yeah, so, ones of like, just don't suck. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny that that uh, message to the Hoka got so much press because uh, before my first game. So I will say that um, at times this year, okay, COVID was good to me in the sense that because of ex- and I'm not saying this in any, any way, like, but uh, like a couple of my teammates got COVID, which opened up the opportunity for me to get on the floor. Right. And like, like, fuck, you know, not, not, it's like, it's like, yeah, not making light of that sucks that they can't play. But at the same time, like, I mean, especially in your first year or two in, in this league and, and I'm sure in any, any professional sports sports league is like, you got to take the opportunities that you're given, right. Regardless of how Mm -hmm. that happened. Um, and so I was about to play in the Tucker out lymphoma game at home. Um, which was, you know, one of our first games of the season. And Ethan just looks at me and goes, I was like looking for some sage words of advice. And he kind of gave me like two. He was like, the one was, you know, just don't suck. Right. And the other one was uh, just good is good enough. Right. He's like, you just got to go out there and you got to do your job 
and don't make any glaring mistakes. But he's like, at the same time, you don't have to make any superhero plays either. He's like, just go, just go like, not telling me to be average, but he's like basically saying, don't try too hard, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Like you, you shouldn't, you should never feel like you're trying too hard. Right. You're, you're there. Like you talked about, right. You're there for a reason. You know, the coaches saw something in you, you see something in yourself. Like you got to trust that, you know, I, I, one thing that coach Torpini taught us that has always stuck with me and that I've tried to impress on every, you know, athlete that I have a chance to talk to, especially my Kinesis guys this year was, you know, your confidence should come from your preparation. He's like, you shouldn't like, okay, yeah, it's one thing to be nervous before you go out and play in front of like a ton of people or, you know, like for me, my first game. But at the end of the day, like at that point in time, I had watched enough film. I had, you know, done all the stuff to take care of my body and take care of my stick work to to be ready for that moment. And he's like, you just got to go, just got to go do it. He's like, don't think about it too much. So. Yeah, exactly. 100%. When you first got up here, did you, once you hit it off with the guys right away, is that what made you want to, you know, move to Buffalo? Getting back to how you were saying that a lot of guys for Colorado and Buffalo were in market. Um, or did you get the Canisius job once you knew you were going to play for the Bandits? Like, what made you want to stay in Buffalo outside of like the traveling and the missing, not wanting to miss the practices? Yeah, so so the timeline for me was I got drafted, um, you know, late round, right? So, like, for the guys that are, you know, kind of familiar with the league, like, draft picks don't really matter if you're not kind of within those first two rounds. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to knock anybody that gets drafted, right? Like, if you make a team, you make a team, right? At the end of the day, the hardest part is getting in front of a coaching staff at a training camp. And once you get to training camp – the rest is on you. But, like, that's the tough part, right? So, like, I got drafted late round, I think fifth round, 76th overall. I'm, I'm going to remember it because it's something that motivates me. Um, and it was funny, like, <laughs> talk, speaking of COVID, I was literally in my fifth year, had had COVID, and was in a, a hotel room in isolation during the night of the draft. And I got drafted, and I freaked out. And it it was late too, like late rounds. We're talking like, you know, probably midnight at this point, maybe 1230. And, uh, you know, Coach Shorby had kind of been texting me. Like I knew I was eligible for the draft. I knew it was in the draft. And he's like, you know, like I'm talking coaches years off right now. Like we think you're either going to go to Philly, Buffalo, or you're going to be picked up in expansion or not in expansion, in free agency by Panther City because I'm from Texas. Um, and then I got picked up by Buffalo and, you know, had a conversation with Chugger the next day and, you know, he had kind of mentioned something about living in Buffalo and then, you know, had further conversations with Coach Torpy after the fact because he played a couple years in the NLL in his time too. He's, he was like, look, man, if you want to make that roster, you got to move to Buffalo. He's like, you'll find a job. Honestly, worry about it. He's like, if this is your dream and you want to play professional lacrosse and you got to separate yourself from – you know, the guys that don't live there. Cause it, cause at the end of the day, like we talked about, right. Like if you don't live in the general vicinity and you can't make it to practice, then you're not going to be a pra- Like I was a practice player. Like I gotta be a practice. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah. I moved, I, I, moved, I, I decided that I was going to move up to Buffalo first. And then second to that, I looked for the, for a coaching job. And so it, it worked out that, um, you know, I, I wanted to get on a division one staff because that's, that's what I knew. 
Um, but at the same time, like would have been, would have been happy in other places. And, you know, there are opportunities in and around this area in the Rochester area. Like I know St. John Fisher is a great, you know, school like Mercyhurst is not far from, like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's other areas, but um, started having a conversation with coach Miasha and uh, it just worked out. Right. Had a volunteer position was volunteer role was open. And actually the guys that I live with now are both alums of Canisius. Um, and, and that's been great, but yeah, finding a job actually came secondary, man. I just, I just wanted to make the team and, and it was kind of like, a, you know, like, I find I put myself in these positions sometimes is like, I don't have a plan B. Like sometimes I'm just so committed to plan A that it's like, you know, look, you're either going to make plan A work or you're going to die trying. Like, and you know, I'd say that. Like not sink or swim. But, yeah. But you know, I put myself in a position where I had to make the team because otherwise why the fuck am I up in Buffalo? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like being a kid from the South, like, um, <laughs> What like is I your – oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought... <laughs> Yo, you're good. I was just saying, like, I, you know, I had uh, so many of my – the guys that I live with my senior of, of college are, like, living in Florida. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you're mm-hmm. talking about. I see Snapchats and stuff of, like, the crazy weather they're getting. I'm like, ah. But, uh, yeah, no, I was just I was just chasing a dream. Yeah, how I was telling you about uh, my friend at Marquette and how I was like, uh, yeah, I'll go to Milwaukee. I don't know what the fuck's in Milwaukee, though. And then I got there, and I was like, oh, this is actually – Marquette's a nice campus. I'm like, they're right downtown, right by the Bucks Arena. They have all those new bars, restaurants, breweries. If you're right there on the water, like, Milwaukee actually gets a bad rap. It's actually not that bad. I like it a lot here. Um, was that, like, your initial thought of Buffalo? Because I'm always curious because my buddies from college – I mean, obviously, when we were in college, they would come. We'd go to Bill's games. Obviously, you know, like, go Chippewa. Just being young, yeah. young college kids. They always are just like, yo, like – not to keep swearing, but they're always just like, fuck the black hole. Like you guys are nuts up there. Like did, what was your pre and post like thought? Cause it doesn't, I, I feel like it doesn't get the, um, it goes off to people is not the impression that it actually is. And I, right. it is like a unique special place trying to say that unbiased, obviously. Cause I grew up. Here. Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. I hear that. So, so the one thing about Buffalo is that, um, so coach Tor- coach Torpy was born here and he's actually got some family that still lives here. So I had like, you know, some information or input from him. Also my dad. Uh, so my dad raised in Indianapolis, went to Purdue where he met uh, my mom and his first job out of college was actually in Buffalo. And honestly, like the apartment that he lived in is probably eight minutes away from where I live now in Tonawanda. So, you know, small world, but I mean, look, like, I was super intimidated by the cold. Um, you know, I, I can very like wholeheartedly agree with you that there are, you know, pieces of Buffalo that feel like Milwaukee in the sense that like, you know, I'd say like Buffalo's feels like a Midwestern town, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's family first, good food, love their sports teams, right? Like, you know, <laughs> it's a drinking city, like, um, that's an understatement. And, and, <laughs> oh yeah, for sure is an understatement. And uh, yeah, man, like I was intimidated by it, but like it's lived up to his its nickname, right? Like we talk, like it's the city of good neighbors. Like I've I've had only good interactions with the people that that live here, and and honestly, I can say like I it's funny. I was talking to 
uh, one of the alum high point alums recently about like a job opportunity he was saying something about, he's like, well, man, are you married to Buffalo? Cause like, we'd really like you to come and live in Boston. I was like, man, like I gotta be here, but honestly, like I want to be here. You know what I mean? Like I, I mm-hmm. actually really do love the city and I, you know, I've always kind of been like a suburbs kid and have been uh, not necessarily intimidated by living in a city, but it's not what I'm drawn to. Like, you know, I don't know how successful I would be living in like somewhere like New York city or even in like a big Metro area, like Atlanta. Um, and so like Buffalo feels like the perfect in between, like it's a city, but in the, it's small. And, you know, if I go out on a random Friday, like if I went out right now, like on a Friday night and went to like one of the local spots, like I guarantee I would know at least a couple people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even because like I go out that often. That's just the type of city that it is. And that's like, you know, like you, you get to know people, you know, either through mutual friend groups or just by, you know, kind of meeting them spontaneously. Um, and they're just, you know, they're, you know, good people. And so it's easy to get along with, you know, everybody. And I love, uh, love my chicken finger subs and love Ooh. my Bardo wings and love is the, Bar Bill too, the so. best wings for you. Ooh. I don't want to be controversial. No, okay. Um, then name. What are you? Everybody... No, 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 no. So, yeah. so, so, the, so this is. So for me, Barbell is one. I, okay. I will say that, and that's not like a hot take, but. Um, I agree with you on that. I'm, I'm not think, even. I just am curious. I'm not debating you. Or I anything. think. <laughs> two. Honestly, is probably Elmo's, which is up by me. Yep. Um, and then three that's, is probably uh, Black Blackthorn. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Elmo's okay. is up by UB and they do like the double dip, the double fry. So like mm-hmm. you could, uh, you can kind of stack flavors, which is unbelievable. And then three is probably Blackthorn down like South Towns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and man, like I, I haven't, I haven't hit them all, um, but I've hit most of the wing trail at this point. And there are a couple that I think are overrated. Um, but yeah, I also think there's some absolute gems. Like, honestly, uh, there's a place by Canisius called Kelly's Corner um, that has unbelievable yep. wings. And it's like, dude, it's <laughs> the tiny little, like, you could drive by it and not even realize it's a restaurant. Like, it's like it's just on a random street. So, Those are the best type of places, the little, like, mom-pop shops. Yeah. There's a uh, res that has incredible breakfast. It's some diner that's like right by Frank's. And the first time he tried bringing me there, I was just like, dude, I'm not going in there. This, looks like <laughs> I'm like, that looks like a gas station. <laughs> like, yeah. literally, it looks like they're about to be serving breakfast versions of like what roller dogs are. Like, I'm not going in there. But yeah. Best breakfast is around here. One of the best. Yeah. The, the uh, Have you had pizza logs? Because there's a, um, I saw on Twitter, there was a thing that said like, um, foods and things that are unique to Buffalo that no one else knows about. And I thought like pizza universal the uh bison chip dip uh chicken finger subs like i thought all those things were like universal and then like i lived in denver and then when i was living in boston as well you couldn't find any of those anyway yeah, i mean like I'm, people people kind of have their versions of pizza logs but like pizza logs themselves are unique especially when you get them like doused in barbecue sauce at 40 or something like that like oh, the, 40, the 40 even the 40 sauce too but man even uh one of the other things that my dad was chomping at the bit to get his hands on when, when he helped me move up here was uh beef on whack. Like yes, you said, that's another uh, thing. 
when he lived in Buffalo, it became his favorite sandwich. And then I genuinely don't think he had been back here since he had had that job. So it's been, you know, it'd been like 30 years at this point. And he was like, we got to go to a barbell and get a beef on whack. Like we have to, like, it's all I've been thinking about. Um, and when he finally had it, he's like, yep, lives up to exactly as I remember it. Oh, so Dab is already hip to barbell. Did he put you on the barbell or did, was that like something that got brought up a conversation? Like barbell um, is that? I think, cause I think barbell has the best I, beef on wick too. That's controversial. Yeah, I, I think, already know I think, that's going to be controversial. Oh, that yeah, hundred percent is kind of, Frank will disagree with you. Oh yeah. Um, cause, Frank cause he's talked about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it comes to food and stuff, when it comes to food and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, he was hip, he was hip to barbell. I don't know if he thought that it was like the best or it's just the one that he remembered. But yeah, we definitely uh, that was one of the first stops when I moved up here. Mm-hmm. And um, so, big part of Buffalo, obviously, Canisius. You coach there for you've been coaching there for a little bit. Um, I know before we hopped on, you said you were stepping away from coaching. Um, things i'm always curious about i know i've had i've asked frank about it a lot i've asked a lot of my other friends about it um grace my friend i mentioned before she actually coached for one year at unc after graduating from marquette um and then she played in that a that pro women's league they got going on now she played there last summer too and she coaches a high school team in denver but just like collectively do you think um a better coach automatically just because you play at an elite level and you do play pro or do you think that like the two and two don't go hand in hand because I've heard both sides of it like I know people that will say they cannot coach because they don't have the patience for it and they don't know how to they don't know how to lead young men that aren't tunnel vision on lacrosse to getting to an elite level um which I know kind of switching it over to basketball like I've heard LeBron James has come out many times on podcasts and stuff saying like he never wants to coach outside of like coaching his son because he doesn't have the patience for it and yeah um even though he's a great basketball mind so is that something that is like natural like just because you were a good player you're automatically a good coach or is that just a totally different like you really have to work at and explore um I would disagree with the statement that because you're a good player, you're a good coach. And the reason for that is so, and, and I can't even, I I cannot say that I'm a good coach because like I have very limited feedback from like players that I've coached. Right. Like, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like I've also had coaches that are, you know, great coaches that maybe didn't even really like weren't great players and uh so i think that those two don't go hand in hand i think i think that most um you know most people if they have been elected in some sort of captain role or have like led a team i think that that type of stuff will translate but i don't think that you know necessarily being like a naturally gifted player or even like a great mind automatically makes you a great coach because at the end of the day, coaching is, you know, we talked about it. It's so much about communication skills and the relationship building that, you know, like if you, if you're a remarkable player and not a great communicator, then you probably shouldn't coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is, it is something that I had to work at for sure. I think the, one of the challenges that I'm you know comfortable talking about that I had being a coach this year is, um, man, I'm young. I'm like only, you know, two years 
older or a year older than some of the guys on the team that I'm coaching. And so in a sense, like, and, you know, I've talked to Frank in depth about this is like, I'm not your friend, I'm your coach. Right. And like, we we can be, you know, like as far as players are concerned, like I have great relationships with the players that I coached this year. And, you know, I think that they would be the first to tell you that, but at the same time, you know, just because I'm a couple years older than you, like, I'm still not like your buddy, like, like, I still like, there's still, still some level of expectation that comes with me being a coach as far as, you know, the way that I talk to you, the things that we're allowed to talk about um, and, and things in that regard. Right. Like, and I, I think that, you know, coach, coaching something that I'm passionate about. Um, I just don't let in, in, you know, we kind of going into this is like, the reason that I'm stepping away from coaching, you know, at least at this point in my life is that um, for me to be the coach that I would want to be, I need to be there on game day, right? It's one thing Mm -hmm. to contribute to all of the preparation uh, of the guys for game day, which is ultimately like the payoff of all this hard work in the fall, especially. Um, And man, like I have aspirations to be a really great player and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, next year or the year after, like, I want to be a every game guy, right? I want to be in the lineup every week throughout the course of a season. That's the aspirations that I have for myself. And what that means is that I will essentially never be available for a game day for the college season because the NLL and the college season overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this year, this year, because I was on practice roster, um, I, you know, I was for the most part able to navigate that. There was a couple Canisius games that I missed and there was a couple bandits games that I missed. And, you know, that's always tough, right? Cause like you want to be at both. Um, but you know, in, in the games that I was on active roster and in a position where I might have the chance to play, like I was at the bandits games and, you know, like had conversations with coach Miyasha and he knew that, you know, playing was my first priority, but at the same time, like if I wasn't going to play, and, uh, we, you know, was able to be on the sideline, you know, like I ran the substitution box this year, which is whew, not fun, <laughs> which I'm sure <laughs> you can imagine, but yeah, no, ran- especially how fast the game moves and the transition. And then with the like one man back, so the next guy can come on and right. people fuck up the offsides all the time on that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, that is certainly tough. Right. And like, um, and like I said, I love coaching. I think, uh, at some point in my life, I'll, I'll be coaching. I don't know if that'll be in college or if that'll be a field lacrosse or indoor lacrosse or, you know, like my kids down the road, like I, I do enjoy coaching. It's a passion of mine. I just think like at this point in my life, um, you know, you, you can only play for so long, right? People talk about that all the time. Uh, it's part of the reason that it's important for a lot of people to have jobs throughout their playing career is, you know, like we don't get we don't get paid enough to not work for however long your career is. And then just expect that you're going to be able to step into a, a job that you can then, you know, like uh, take care of your family and, and uh, you know, be financially responsible for, you know, a spouse and kids and stuff like that. So um, career development is certainly something that I've, I've talked to guys on the team about, you know, throughout the course of the season and certainly, certainly my parents, um, kind of, and that's part of the reason that I'm stepping away from coaching. I got to, you know, step into a role that is going to put me in a position to succeed financially and, you know, hopefully find something that also fits really well with, with playing because playing is, is, uh, an, an immense passion of mine and, and will remain my 
priority for, for years to come. Yeah. Are you, if you don't mind me asking, are you a, uh, how do like the contracts work? Are they like a, do you get guaranteed dollars or is it more so of like, um, you sign for one year at a time or two or three years, whatever it is. And then, um, all that money is guaranteed. Is it not like the, the financial business sides of it? Number one. And then number two, is there anyone that, um, I just thought about this as I was asking it, is there anyone in the bandits organization or in the NLL that kind of just like they do in college where they're like, Hey, like, you know, you're, athlete use the skills of being an athlete to um eventually get a job and all those things is there anyone in like the nll or the bandits organization that it's just like hey like you guys are essentially because of social media and all that stuff your own brand and by building your own brand as an athlete you can open more doors for the game of lacrosse um kind of like you're seeing with like um, like the PLL, like I feel like a lot of guys that are in the PLL, they have their own like little personal brands. They do a lot of camps, they do stuff like that. Is right. there, is there anyone on like the business side of things it, behind those closed doors that only players that play pro would know? Is that is that like something you guys um, get guidance on, or is it more so of just like you sign a contract and it is what it is, and you show up and you play? There's not really any business uh, education going on for like the personal athlete. Yeah. So, so to answer both parts of your question, uh, the first regarding salaries, um, guys sign for all sorts of things. I think, you know, as the older you get, the more common like one year contracts are, or maybe even for me, like being a younger guy, like if a team was, for example, like if a team was going to take a chance on somebody, maybe they'd sign them to a one year deal. And then if they, you know, if it pans out, then they'd be willing to sign for more. Um, the, the money is not guaranteed, right? At the end of the day, like, if you want to make your salary, if you want to make, you know, whatever, whatever that number is, like you got to play in games, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. and it's like that for field, you know, and for indoor lacrosse. And ultimately that like, that's why it's so challenging, you know, being, you know, as far as teammates are concerned is like, you are like, you, you're competing for a paycheck and um, it, it's tough and, and it's like a balancing act all the time. But um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of what you're signing up for um, as far as, career personal brand development things like that like we don't necessarily have anybody within our organization or the nll that is is coaching us in that regard but a lot of coaching as far as brand building and stuff like that happens like by just asking guys about it like i think you know a great example is josh Byrne, um dane smith ian mckay all of those guys are full-time lacrosse players they play in the pll they play in the nll they go to camps they have their own personal brand they have endorsements and you know like being a full-time lacrosse player is something that is attainable more and more so as we go and you know you know leagues like the pll continue to grow um guys are going to be in a position to to make this their full-time career um but one of the things that's important to consider is that most of the time those guys are offensive guys and have, you know, names that companies are willing to invest in one. And at the end of the day, you can't play for forever. And so, you know, like I, I've had conversations with plenty of guys that have, have been like, look, it's important that you don't leave your professional career outside of lacrosse you know, you can't like throw it to the wayside. Like it is important for you 
to, you know, develop your skills, marketing yourself, um, you know, if like whatever it is, right. Like if you're going to get into sales, right. Like having a sales job so that, you know, at when it's all said and done and you're done playing, you're not wondering what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. There's also, there's also coaching that happens uh, from our NLLPA. So we have a players association. Um, we're actually uh, working on a, a new collective bargaining associate or sorry, a cl- collective bargaining agreement with the league. And um, we do get coached from our NLLPA reps. So like every team has a rep. And then also we have a president and vice president, which is, um, uh, Zach Courier and Reed Reinholdt. And those guys send out emails kind of throughout the season um, with, you know, information for um, salary negotiations and, you know, like things that you can do to put yourself in a position to succeed. Cause ultimately like, you know, the, the players association is, is everybody's kind of looking out for everybody. I mean, yeah, we're playing against each other, but at the same time, like we're all part of the same league. We all want to grow the league we all, you know, want to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a a position to, you know, feel protected and um, make sure that, you know, we're in in a sense safe, uh, if that makes sense. And that, you know, you're kind of like not, not that you would, but you're not getting screwed over by whatever organization you're playing for. So. No, yeah, no, that all makes complete sense. I was with the like insides and outs of that are, um, yeah, no, a couple, couple more things uh, here, just wrapping up since we, we've been talking for a half. I greatly appreciate your time um, and doing this too. But now that you're not coaching, I don't know if you can or cannot talk about it a little bit, but what are your thoughts on um, college as a whole? Yeah, so one of the things that like we briefly touched on, um, we kind of talked about it more so before we started the pod, uh, before then like diving right into it. But one thing I mentioned to you is that um, – how I think it's important for coaches to have those conversations with kids about like, Hey, um, you know, this is, this is where you are. This is the level you're at and stuff like that. But on the flip side of thing, as a whole and like the economics behind college, I, the last episode I did with my buddy, Chris, that was something I asked him coaches at the Hill Academy. And I said to him, I said, you know, do you have quite, do you have conversations with parents and uh, players about like, Hey, yeah, you might be getting recruited by Virginia, but they're not giving you a penny. Whereas a school like High Point is damn near offering you a full ride. I get that you want to go play for Virginia and, you know, where big name program, but when you graduate school, you're going to have all this debt. And then if you don't know what you want to do and stuff like that. And then like me, I got school covered from grades and then lacrosse and um, I've been doing real estate. So that that's what I've been doing right after sales. And it's crazy to me how just to get your real estate license, you just got to pass the state exam. And then you are handling some of the biggest financial transactions that people make in their entire lives that have serious consequences because you're dealing with contracts. Like when I do a deal, I'm drafting a contract. It's all attorney approval, stuff like that. And you don't need any business degree. You don't need any finance background, even though you're going through people's personal finances and all those from that angle alone of the amount of debt that kids rack up and kids not, you know, in the moment really knowing what they wanted to do. Cause I kind of, their multiple internships were flops. Um, what is your thoughts on like college and like 
it being a potentially like a scam? Like, do you think that like, I mean, obviously for lacrosse, you have to go to college, but like if there's a kid that is on the fence about continuing, continuing to play or just going to school and being a student, like what are your thoughts on like that as a whole? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because something that I, I hope everybody realizes as they're going, you know, looking for a great fit for colleges you know, you're not going to make, we, I mean, we talked about this, you're not going to make an NBA and NHL and NFL um, base, you know, whatever a contract um, when you're playing lacrosse, you know, ultimately like it's important that you have a job outside of lacrosse to, you know, support yourself and support a family, you know, later in your life. Right. So you can't, you can't pick college purely based on what your lacrosse experience is going to be. And I think that one of the things that I'm very grateful for is that when I was going through this recruiting process, my dad made sure that we were very methodical about finding first, you know, you got to really sit with yourself and figure out what you want to do. And it doesn't have to be exact, right? But like, have a general idea Mm -hmm. of what you're looking for in a school before you just say like, oh, I want to go play lacrosse here. It's like, because at the end of the day, you know, like if school, if school doesn't have a major that's going to support you and it's going to set you so, set yourself up for maybe what you want to do, then, you know, you like you sh- probably shouldn't go. Right. And I'm not saying like there's not, you know, leeway here and there. You like you don't have to have um, a business degree to get into business and you don't have to have a stratcom, you know, major to get into, you know, communications jobs like. It, but it is important that they have something that will support you. And so for me, you know, I said no to a lot of schools in my recruiting process that didn't have the major that I wanted. And like, I even, you know, I talked about that Dallas Deuces camp that I was at where I got my final evaluation from Coach Torpy. You know, after playing really well, I had offers on the table and ultimately sat down and looked at, you know, the different majors that they had and, and was just straight up with the coaches. I was like, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the offer coach, but you guys don't have a major that's going to work for, you know, what I think I want to do. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on. And I think it's important to, to do that too, because, you know, you don't want to waste their time. They don't want to waste your time. You know, like if you're, if you have a good idea of what you want to do after college, then, you know, it's important that you find a school that's going to have a major that can support you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, you know, ultimately, a lot of your friends and a lot of my friends are probably doing something for a career right now. That's slightly different than what they thought they were going to do one and two, what they thought their major was going to support. Right. And, and, you know, like you said, like not every job requires a degree and not every job requires a specific degree. So, you know, sometimes having that degree can be something that can either open or close doors just purely based on, you know, when a, when a recruiter is looking at a resume on a desk, but ultimately like it is important that you, you know, have, you know, sit down and really think about what you want to do. And if what you want to do is doesn't require a degree, it's like, that's a serious conversation you have to have. It's like, if you, you can't just go to school and put yourself in a position where you, you know, look up and 30 years from now, you're still playing paying student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're not going to get a job that's going to support you being able to pay off those student loans. And, you know, for me, like right now I'm, I'm trying to get into medical sales and, you know, my undergrad was exercise science, exercise physiology. And 
was thinking about going to PA school at one point. So I was super heavy, like on the sciences, but, and then I got a, a master's degree in communication and business leadership. So for me, I feel like those two degrees are going to help me succeed in medical sales. But at the same time, you know, I had a conversation recently, recently with one of, you know, my guys that I coach about, he's thinking about getting into the same trade that his dad works in and he doesn't need a college degree for that. And, uh, you know, I think that's important too, to realize that, you know, this is something that, um, you know, Mike Rowe from Steve jobs talks about all the time, or sorry, from uh, dirty jobs talks about all the time is like, there's a trade sort shortage right now. Like there's trade jobs that are out there and you can make over six figures being a welder or being a plumber. Um, you can start your own business and like, you don't need a, a degree for that. And, you know, trade school is affordable and it's only, you know, for the most part, less than two years. And that's something that I think a lot more people should take into consideration is like, you don't, you don't want to go pay like 40 grand a year to just play lacrosse. Like <laughs> there's gotta be some like aspect outside of that for the reason that you're going to those schools. Do you think this is a really stupid question? And I say stupid because like if someone was to ask me it, I would laugh at it, <laughs> even though I'm asking it. Do you think that there's going to be a time where they allow kids to uh, play under the NCAA and play at like a school like High Point if they're not exactly taking those cl- – actually, no, I don't want to say it like that. Like, they're not taking those classes. But do you think there will ever be a time where colleges start allowing trades in or they'll start allowing um, some form of those jobs in as in the curriculum in some way, shape, or form that allows you to keep that eligibility? Because like you said, if that that you were talking about, if say if he didn't get any scholarship, he's probably getting stuck with a hefty, hefty bill on student loans and debt and obviously that's the only debt that you can't like file bankruptcy on and that is stuck with you forever um and he did all that like you just said like why why would you pay forty thousand a year just across if you're not even going to go pro and stuff like that and even if you do go pro the money's not the money that the nba or nhl is right um so so again a complete hypothetical here but do you ever see a way where the ncaa will like ever allow like it's like for example like trade okay you want to learn to be a plumber you need to be doing you need to be taking um we you still need to be taking a full curriculum you need to take those classes but we will allow you to take less classes as long as you're working under an apprenticeship you're putting in the hours and you're actively going to i don't know like trade shows seminars like all those things or do you just think that the business of college is always going to be the business of college yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's, and it's also a great idea. Like, it's something that I wish, you know, maybe could be a reality. But I, I don't, I don't think that'll happen, especially now, in the realm of NIL deals. Because mm-hmm. now that now that students can make money based on their name, image, image and likeness, then the NCAA is going to have, you know, they're not going to feel bad for kids. You know what I mean? Like, as much as it sounds nice that, you know, a guy would have the ability to work to get a trade job while also playing college across, like as, as nice of an idea that as that is, I, I just don't think it's realistic. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't always like ponder it. Cause it's like, I, I don't know. It's just crazy to me that people don't know that, or at least aren't educated on that. Cause I think it makes a vast difference. Um, like where kids would go. Cause I think like if a kid is capable of playing at like a QC UNC, 
they go the route of maybe a mid-level or still be that same impactful player, still have the same chances. Well, maybe not the same chances, but like how it is, is like, I'm going to use my friend again, the grace, like she was getting recruited by schools, um, big schools, but she chose Marquette because she wanted to go somewhere where she was going to make an impact. And I don't think she would be upset with me saying this. And if she is, then I'll, t- I'll take the L for that. But she got school covered going to Marquette. Now she has no student loans, right? So she was able to have a great college experience, have no debt. Whereas maybe if she did go to like a UNC or Northwestern, she'd be having thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of debt. So like, I'm always like curious and I'm only taking that angle just from being in business, um, doing real estate. When I see people's pre-approvals or I go over their credit or their like credit history or their financials with them for how we can get in the best position to make a good offer or buy a house those are things that like a lot of people are shocked. They're just like, well, I didn't realize that this is going to make such an impact on my ability to buy a house or do certain things. And I know like a buddy of mine that I played at Hobart with, he had to refinance his loans because he was getting, I think they were charging him like almost like 1500 a month. Like that's rent. You know what I mean? And then if you're like not making a job, you're already like, kind of like what we were talking about earlier like you're already starting behind the eight ball like you're starting so far back whereas like a kid that maybe picks a mid-level school versus going to a top top tier school gets a starting advantage out of the gate because then they have that wiggle room of like okay i don't need to get a job right away i could really go figure out what i want to do and experience things without a hundreds of thousands of dollars with the debt back right yeah i mean i'll say this right it's like if there was division one lacrosse in Texas, or just if I had lived in a state that had a state school that had division one lacrosse, like I would have very seriously considered going to that school, regardless of opportunity at other places. Mm -hmm. And I say that because man, like, you know, you look at the campus and it matches up. We'll we'll say that it matches up with the, uh, the ticket price, right? Like Mm -hmm. high point, high point, just like Hobart. I'm sure I, you know, I, I can't speak to, you know, what your other guys' experiences are at those schools, but like, it's expensive, man. Like it, you can't, you know, pay a ton of money just to play lacrosse. Like there has to be some, some plan, right? Like, and I really encourage kids, if you're in the rec- recruiting process now to, to take financials into consideration, right? Like mm-hmm. not everybody is, uh, is blessed with having, you know, great grades where they might have an opportunity to get, a, you know, academic aid also. And, you know, the thing about high point is high point doesn't stack. So if you're getting athletic money, you're not getting academic. And if you're getting academic, you're not getting athletic. And, you know, ultimately you have to pick essentially pick the the higher of those two numbers. But, you know, I was already committed and, you know, I, I don't regret going there at all, but it's certainly something that, you know, in hindsight, I would have done a little more research on. Mm-hmm. It's just like, find, find a place that, yeah, you can have a good experience. Yeah, you can, you know, be the impact that you want to be. But, man, you know, pick somewhere where you can pay off your loans and be in a good place financially for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Do um, What is your whole take on the NIL deals, athletes finally getting paid? Like, what is your whole, like, position on it? Because I have friends that are, even though they play D1 sports and they play, you know, not even D1, but they just play college sports in general like they're adamantly against it. Don't like to me, I'm on the side that I think athletes should get paid if you're bringing in dollars for the school. Like I don't necessarily, and maybe this is controversial. Like I don't think, 
Like, if lacrosse players don't get paid outside of their NI deals, like, I'm fine with that because lacrosse doesn't really bring in money compared to, you right. know, you're from Texas, football. <laughs> like, look how much money yeah, man. the University of Texas brings in. So, like, those kids look, that if are – yeah. Yeah, look, if you're, if you're an Alabama football player, like, you, you should be making – this is just my personal opinion. Like, I know, you know, obviously it's heated topic and a lot of, you know, in, athletes and non-athletes alike, but if you're – a football player at Alabama and you're a big name and you're bringing in a lot of money for the university. I have no problem with those guys getting paid. I understand that lacrosse is not a sport that brings in a lot of money, at least not, you know, where I played necessarily. So, you know, I wasn't expecting anything. Now this NIL stuff is like, look, the only way that you can secure an NIL deal and make any money at all is by marketing yourself and like what better, way to learn than by firsthand like if you want to build a brand then build a brand and by all means like if if a company wants to pay you to promote their product just because of the you know your personal brand that you've built good for you like i had and the best part is is like nil deals don't have to be big you know what i mean like i uh i had some guys that i was teammates with that at high point that got an nil deal done with one of the like local spots where like everybody would go, you know, get apps and drinks at. It's like good for them. That's smart. They thought about, you know, reaching out to the the owner of the restaurant and, you know, discussing with him what terms would seem like a, you know, like a fair um agreement between the two, right? Like how much they'd be posting about it, how much, you know, credit within the store or like straight up how much money they'd be making from you know, the store, like, like that's real world experience. So in my opinion, I, I have no problem with NIL deals. Like to be honest, a little butt hurt that I missed it by a year. Cause I think mm-hmm. I probably could have, you know, made something. I probably wouldn't have made a lot of money, but I probably would have made something either from, you know, like trying to get some sort of brand deal done with like an equipment sponsor uh, within the lacrosse world or, you know, like my buddies did just going down the street and being like, look, I'll post about you. I'll try to get some feet, you know, feet in the door. If, if you'll give me free smoothies, you know, twice a week, you know what I mean? Like small mm-hmm. stuff. Like, yeah. You, I definitely think like, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's me cause I'm a delusional optimist, but I definitely think that you could leverage you uh, like going into your senior year, at least like you being a captain or you, um, and when I say going into your senior year, like you are a senior already, you're going into that like season. Right. right. Going home, going home, um, unless there's like a deadline for NILs. Like, I don't know anything about that. I don't like to speak on things I don't know. It's the Wild West, um, man. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that you could leverage in a very, if you like play your cards right, like you could really leverage the growth of Southern and Texas lacrosse with, hey, I'm at a D1 school. Uh, I was an all I you know, I was a good player. Like I'm all conference, all American um, whatever you were at the time. And then obviously I have the chance to play pro. It is something that like, maybe you make an appearance fee for like a camp or something where they pay you like a hundred dollars just for showing up or they pay you 150 for doing like one-on-one drills. And then like, you know how much parents are willing to pay because everyone thinks their kids are the next (laughs) like LeBron. Um, so like, I definitely think that, uh, lacrosse players have like a huge avenue with that being able to like build it as a brand and expose it that way. Um, but you know, kind of transitioning off of that, kind of getting into the more personal questions to wrap up here. 
Um, what has, um, cause I've only been, I know I told you about this when I first met you. Um, I've only been to Dallas and I've only been to Fort Worth and Texas to me is one of the greatest places. Like I just, like you said, it's like the, it's like the wild west. Like it's just a different, it's just a different world down there compared to like what I grew up in and what I'm used to. Um, people, Southern hospitality is a real thing. Like people down there are super genuine and, and, and real. What is the biggest uh, perspective shift, if any, Buffalo living and moving to Buffalo has had on you, obviously like being a Southern boy? Man. I mean, uh, yeah, like the weather is the easy, um, like cop out answer. So, I mean, I won't talk so much on that because obviously like that's very different, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I think like, you know, at least where I lived in uh, outside of Houston, you know, like generally good people. Um, and I could say exactly the same thing about um, Buffalo. I, like, obviously, the the type of food is much different. But like, you know, where both where I lived and Buffalo, like are known for, um, you know, like the type of food that they have to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both places, Houston and Buffalo are diehard sports fans, but I think that like Buffalo takes the cake and, you know, it's just not even close. Like, you know, obviously like Dallas is one thing, like they got diehard Cowboys fans that, you know, sorry if I'm, I'm pissing anybody off, but are completely delusional about the success of their team. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the Bills franchise has had years like that, but for the most part, you know, people are really excited about the opportunity that, you know, Josh Allen and Stefan and the rest of the guys, uh, you know, the success they're going to have in, you know, the near future and have already had. So um, I, I don't know if there's a massive difference, man. I, I think uh, the one culture shift is like, because we're so close to Canada, especially for me, since I'm playing lacrosse and interacting with them and playing over there, like um, being close to Canada is, is different. And um, you know, I had the the luxury of playing with a couple guys um, while I was at school that are Canadian and, you know, enjoyed uh, kind of their perspective on the sport. And, you know, the other aspect, speaking of, you know, our mutual friend and like the reason I met you and Frank Brown is like, I have had a, a chance to really connect with some of the native community and, and kind of gain some perspective and gain even more respect for the way that they, view lacrosse and you know where that plays in in their ceremony and you know kind of connecting to the roots of the sport and the reason I love it so much so that's Mm -hmm. probably been like the big difference yeah no and it's definitely it's it's that I would say it's definitely eye-opening um to hear like that different perspective like you said like what the game of lacrosse means to them the medicine game and how it's like it brings the native culture together the people together and like what it like and means to them right i kind of think it's like no i'm sorry continue so yeah i was just saying like and i can see it especially like having an opportunity to play a home game for six nations um on tuesday night and like seeing like all of like the little uh you know like native kids that are like running around with sticks in between the periods and stuff it's 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 really cool Mm -hmm. yeah and what's um what what has that experience been like like what is the is a playing for six nations chiefs is that pretty much you're playing against guys that are in the nll it's like uh 
it's like a league to keep you in shape for the NL season. I mean, I'm asking that like ignorantly because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, no. What, what's that I, like? I, I think that that's a pretty accurate description. I think like there are a ton of guys that play during the summer for senior A that are already in the NLL. There are a lot of guys that are playing in the summer to prepare to try to make an NLL roster. Um, I think the one thing that's interesting is like it's, you know, like slightly less organized, right? So like the lineup is not going to be the same every week. Like, you know, the quote unquote, like the roster they carry is bigger and, you know, like whoever can make it that night for the game can make it. And, you know, it's like it's kind of been described as like a working man's league. And like, you know, great example is like Tyson Bomberry, one of my teammates is is a cop. And like there's nights where he can't come play because he's working. Right. Um, but it, it's it's a slightly different game. Um, you know, not every game is played on turf. Like there's games that are played on concrete and, you know, like every barn is unique. Like some barns have, uh, you know, benches on the same side like they do in the NLL and some barns have, you know, benches across from each other, which I think is, you know, really different, especially for me since I didn't grow up playing in those um, types of rinks. So, um, you know, it's definitely a lot of travel for me. It's been, uh, it's been challenging, but you know, I'm doing this because it's an investment in my future within indoor lacrosse and especially for the bandits. And, you know, I'm have I have the chance to play for coach Tavares, who's, you know, the head coach of the bandits is also coaching offense for the chiefs and, you know, so, you know, more FaceTime with him is, is great and I can get uh-huh. to know him more and, and, uh, you know, he can continue to coach me even though, you know, I don't have a bandit's uniform on. So uh-huh. it's been good. Is, is he, uh, is he full time now as a coach? I know he was, when he was playing, he was also a teacher. Is he still teaching? Uh, as far as I know, he is still teaching. Yes. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, yeah. And then the last questions, um, in general, it could just it could be lacrosse related. It could be just in general. It could be personal. It, it, however, you want to answer it. What are some things that you wish you learned in school that you had to learn the hard way, or you more so had to educate yourself on? Because when you got out of college and got out of that college environment, the real world punched you right in the mouth with. And it doesn't need to be punched like hard lesson. It's just like, oh, damn, I did not expect that being in college. I thought the real world was X and now it's actually this. Like, what are some of those things? (laughs) Man, the number one thing is just like, it's probably sounds so stupid, but just like feeding myself, man. Like I I really didn't, you know, like maybe in the summers when I was home, I'd cook for myself, but then like would always end up having dinner with my parents And then, like, at school, you know, for the most part, you're just, like, grabbing food and going, right? Or, like, you're maybe Mm -hmm. ordering something and picking it up. And so just, like, especially as an athlete, right, prioritizing, like, trying to have a healthy, you know, diet that's going to prepare me for what I, you know, am going to put my body through with all the training and stuff that we do. And um, so, like, that's been different. Um, Man, other real-world stuff. It's just, man, like, right now – you know, part of, part of chasing a dream is, um, dealing with, in some cases at least is dealing with like financial stress. So like, that's been something that, you know, I've been blessed because of my parents that I've never really been in a position where I've been, you know, under a lot of financial stress. And right now I'm living on, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting by, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, that's obviously going to change when I take on a full-time role, but 
Um, that's certainly something that's been new for me and that's, you know, taking some adjustment. And then the last question I have is, and again, could be about anything pretty broad. Um, you can meet 18 year old Dalton today. What things would you tell him? Hmm. 18 year old me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it probably sounds corny, but, uh, like a big, you know, just trust the process. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's like a mentality that I necessarily had right away. Um, you know, I've always been like, it's always been easy for me to go out and, uh, like play Like when I was in high school, man, like I just go shoot for fun. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. and in that sense, like nobody ever had to tell me to work hard. It's just something I kind of like innately did uh but like trust the process extends to more than just the work right it's like the mentality that you have and like understanding that there's going to be um roadblocks and that like you have to be resilient um what else would i tell 18 year old me um go to college single no (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i don't know it's tough right um I think, man, just talk to your parents more. That, that actually, that's the biggest thing. Talk to your parents more. I I think like, you know, you fall into the trap of, you you know, you go to, you go to your freshman year and you, you know, maybe you talk to them a little bit right at the beginning because they want to know about everything that's going on with your new life. But, you know, as much as it's nice that there's freedom that you kind of like making your own choices and all that stuff, it's like, man, I I talk to my mom or dad now in my life, like on a daily basis, you know what I mean? And like Mm -hmm. when, when I was in college, like I kind of like, you know, gave them updates here and there. And I think it's just important. I think it's just important to continue to communicate with your parents, um, you know, regularly, you know, as I don't want it to sound morbid at all, but like, you know, life's short, man. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen. You know, I've had, a lot of teammates that have lost somebody throughout their four years of college and you know it's really tough and you obviously like you never want any of that to happen but those there's just things in life that you can't control and so i think it's important that you uh talk to people you love right parents especially without a doubt i mean they're also your biggest supporters too oh yeah so well hey man i great uh greatly appreciate you doing this i know uh we had a couple little technical difficulties and then uh we've been talking for some time now so like I said, definitely wanted to get you on. Definitely appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day because I can only imagine how busy you are with everything you got going on. So um, definitely have to have you on in the future. But otherwise, I uh, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate you uh, you inviting me and having the opportunity to hop on. So wish you the best. Yes, sir. And so uh, hope you have a great rest of your night. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, see you. See ya.